0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, May 15th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, there's a new major chip flaw called Zombie Load. The major tech companies sign on to the so called Christchurch Call to Action. San Francisco bans facial recognition tech. Is Google effectively deprecating search? And did Beyonce make $300 million on the Uber IPO? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Welp, once again, the silicon ain't safe. Security researchers have found a new side-channel flaw called zombie load that affects nearly all post-2011 Intel chips. Yes, this is a hardware flaw reminiscent of the meltdown and specter vulnerabilities which exploited speculative execution in modern processors, but with a new twist, quoting TechCrunch. Zombie Load takes its name from a zombie load, an amount of data that the processor can't understand or properly process, forcing the processor to ask for help from the processor's microcode to prevent a crash. Apps are usually only able to see their own data, but this bug allows that data to bleed across those boundary walls. Zombie Load will leak any data currently loaded by the processor's core, the researchers said. Intel said patches to the microcode will help clear the processor's buffers, preventing data from being read. Practically, the researchers showed in a proof-of-concept video that the flaws could be exploited to see which websites a person is visiting in real time, but could easily be repurposed to grab passwords or access tokens used to log in to a victim's online accounts. Like Meltdown and Spectre, it's not just PCs and laptops affected by zombie load. The cloud is also vulnerable. Zombie load can be triggered in virtual machines, which are meant to be isolated from other virtual systems and their host device. Daniel Gruss, one of the researchers who discovered the latest round of chip flaws, said, it works just like it does on PCs and can read data off the processor. That's potentially a major problem in cloud environments where different customers' virtual machines run on the same server hardware." End quote. As of this moment, We have heard no reports of any attacks using this new vulnerability, though researchers note that an attack, if it did occur, wouldn't leave any trace anyway, so shrug shoulders emoji, I guess. Should you worry? Yes, in the sense that you should immediately install all of the updates on all of your machines Intel has released microcode to patch vulnerable processors, and Apple and Microsoft have released updates to protect your computers, while Google has done the same for your browsers. But remember how the fixes for Meltdown and Spectre led to a hit to processor performance? Well, it's the same this time as well. A 3 to 9% performance hit in data center environments after the patch, apparently. As Matt O'Dell tweeted, and this is maybe just a mantra for modern life at this point, quote, Number one, operate under the assumption that any device connected to the internet can be remotely compromised. Plan accordingly. Number two, patches have been released. Update your systems. The implications of the Christchurch massacre continue to ripple through the world of tech. That tragedy was, of course, live-streamed on Facebook and Facebook announced that starting today, users who break Facebook's, quote, most serious policies will immediately be banned from using Facebook Live for a set period of time, such as maybe 30 days. And it's sort of a first-strike situation. Violate any of their, again, quote, most serious policies, and you're locked out of Facebook Live without recourse. Facebook said it will also block the same offenders from purchasing ads. And led by the governments of New Zealand and France, there is now something called the Christchurch Call to Action, a nine-point plan to stop the spread of terrorist content online. This is an agreement and a framework by governments and social media companies to join forces to fight online extremism and Facebook, Microsoft, Twitter, Google, and Amazon, among others, have all signed on to the plan, which was also formally unveiled at a major international confab today in Paris. One government that will not be signing on is the United States, which declined to sign on to the framework on free speech grounds, essentially. Quoting the Washington Post, We continue to be proactive in our efforts to counter terrorist content online, while also continuing to respect freedom of expression and freedom of the press, the White House said Wednesday. Further, we maintain that the best tool to defeat terrorist speech is productive speech, and thus we emphasize the importance of promoting credible alternative narratives as the primary means by which we can defeat terrorist messaging, end quote. And San Francisco has become the first major American city to ban the use of facial recognition technology by city agencies, quoting TechCrunch. The Stop Secret Surveillance Ordinance introduced by San Francisco Supervisor Aaron Peskin is the first ban of its kind for a major American city and the seventh major surveillance oversight effort for a municipality in California. I want to be clear: this is not an anti-technology policy, Peskin said during Tuesday's board meeting. Peskin de-emphasized the ban aspect of the ordinance, instead framing it as an outgrowth of the sweeping data privacy reforms signed into law by California Governor Jerry Brown last year, and an extension of prior efforts in other counties around the state. "End quote." The ordinance passed by a vote of eight to one, and note that this is not an outright ban of the technology, just a ban of the use of the technology by the city of San Francisco itself. Private companies and individuals are still free to deploy facial recognition inside San Francisco city limits. What if I told you there was a financial services company that pours $2.5 billion every year into game-changing tech platforms? And they're hiring right now. And when you work for this company, you'll be joining about 12,000 other tech gurus. And it turns out that company, well, you know it. It's Fidelity Investments. Whether you're into virtual reality, artificial intelligence, digital currencies, or blockchains, you'll find no limits to what you can do at Fidelity. And those 12,000 tech gurus you'll be working with, they're all over the world. So 24-7, you'll be able to collaborate when a great idea hits you. What did we just talk about on the weekend bonus episode about tech opportunities being more widely distributed these days? Fidelity is hiring in many locations like North Carolina, New England, Westlake, Texas, and Salt Lake City. When you join Fidelity Investments, you'll be part of a passionate, dedicated team of professionals working together to redefine what's possible. Visit tech.fidelitycareers.com to learn more and help lead the future of Fidelity Investments tech innovation. That's tech. Dot .fidelitycareers.com The Tech Meme Right Home is brought to you this week by We Work Remotely. In the modern knowledge economy, where you live is increasingly not a deciding factor when it comes to the type of job you can land. If your skill sets and experience are in demand, you can work remotely from where you want, when you want, how you want, in your pajamas if you want. Want to work at a tech startup but can't afford to live in Silicon Valley? Companies are looking to hire remote workers for greater flexibility and access to the sort of workers they need when they need them. So if you're an in-demand worker, you can take advantage of this sort of flexibility by visiting weworkremotely.com to join more than 130,000 job seekers who are applying to openings for designers, programmers, copywriters, marketing pros, even executive positions. More than 68,000 remote work positions have been posted at WeWork Remotely. So go to weworkremotely.com. That's weworkremotely.com and find a remote job that's right for you. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. OnePassword password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like Autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM. To to Slack. It beat out forty other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their AirNet underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the silver peak polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer, their silver crewneck t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mac Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. A couple of grab bag Google search stories here. Google is combining its travel-related search products, including Google Trips, Google Flights, and Google Hotel Search under a single tool called Trips. You can access it by going to google.com forward slash travel, which, why not, forward slash trips? And also, Google hasn't specified how this integrates with their offline mobile app, Google Trips. But hey, no one ever accused Google of having a simple, unconfusing system when it comes to product lineup naming conventions. This is more in the weeds, but possibly more important. Google has announced Discover Ads, a new visual, carousel, or gallery-like ad format that will run across the YouTube home feed, Gmail, and the Discover feed. And it's coming later this year. So a new visual ad unit because Google knows that visual ads perform better, especially on mobile. I said something recently about how we've come a long way from a plain white page with just a search bar and blue text links, right? And actually, that's what the story is here that I want to highlight. I mentioned that these new ad units will be coming to the Discover feed. What is the Discover feed? It's Google's fancy name for essentially its mobile homepage. Let me quote from Search Engine Land. What is Discover? It's a feed, first known as Google Now, then Google Feed, that appears on the homepage of the Google app for iOS and Android and the Google.com homepage on mobile. Users can customize their feeds to include topics of interest to them, Google began testing ads in Discover last fall with a small set of advertisers. Depending on users' account settings, Google may use web and app activity, device information, location history, and home location to personalize feed content, which is largely AMP-enabled. Turns out Discover has become a quiet giant for Google. The company claims more than 800 million people use Discover monthly, end quote. So the point that I'm making here is that Google is... For all intents and purposes, for the first time ever, if you look at it from a certain angle, putting ads on the Google homepage. Forget about a long way from a blank white page with a search bar and blue text links. Google is finally doing the thing that they said they would never do. I'm old enough to remember when people flocked to Google from places like Yahoo because they were chock full of annoying ads. As Google at long last become the thing that it was born to rage against. Well, this has been a long time coming. It's been years since the ads on Google were just a rail along the right-hand third of a Google search page. The ads slowly crept into the top of the search results themselves, then the bottom, and then, like, the majority of the page. And the ads stopped just being clearly labeled text links. They look like regular search links now and they can have pictures and call-outs and maps and everything. Google has flooded everything they can think of with search ads now, especially on mobile. Google itself does things on mobile that if you were a webmaster running AdSense on your site, or what used to be called AdSense, Google will penalize you for. Things like flooding the page with nothing but ads above the fold. Again, this has been a long time coming. For years, everyone has known that To hit their quarterly numbers, Google has had to time and time again come up with inventive new ways to jam ads anywhere they could. People have wondered if there might be some tipping point. Could Google ever reach a stage where there were so many ads that people start to get turned off and maybe start searching less? I don't know if you recall, last quarterly earnings report for Google was quietly very bad, especially in its search advertising numbers. There are whispers all over the place that Google might be nudging up to the very edge of the precipice where they've jammed all the ads into any of the places that make sense. They're running out of places to jam ads. Now they're even looking to monetize the homepage effectively, so it is starting to feel like they're getting desperate. Look, you know how one of the theories about Uber is that if they can just keep things afloat, long enough until self-driving cars become a reality, then boom, they can suddenly have amazing unit economics and a profitable business. Well, there's been a similar long-term theory about Google in the sense that Google still makes 90% of its money from advertising, and a huge percentage of that still comes from search advertising. Search advertising is essentially Google's golden goose, always has been, and still mostly is. But once Everyone in the world is online, and once everyone in the world is using Google Search, and once every addressable advertiser is on Google's ads platform, and once Google has jammed as many ads into as many nooks and crannies as they can, is there some sort of brick wall that can be hit where further growth for search advertising is impossible beyond just, you know, population growth? The way this theory runs... Google has known all this for years, and I believe that, that there's no company that is as good at extrapolating large numbers and placing bets on what they're seeing in the data. And so, according to this theory, that's always what these other bets as a strategy has always been about to use the cash cow of search ads to fund the creation of other huge businesses, and hopefully, one or more of them catch fire before search hits that proverbial inevitable wall. Are we there? at this point, at that wall. couple of things. First, if Google really does continue to stuff us all full of ads like so much foie gras, might there be an entrepreneurial angle opening up here to do a search engine competitor and search ads competitor that isn't so onerous? Like, how many billions does Google make from search advertising each quarter if you did a startup that did a little less ads and only generated, I don't know, A billion dollars a quarter? You might have a nice little business there, right? I've heard entrepreneurs and VCs whispering about exactly that. Might the need to juice quarterly numbers on Google's part open up an opportunity to disrupt Google by basically just reinventing Google how it used to be? But the other point I'd make is, what happens to the web if Google continues to OD on ads? Do a search for something on mobile how many ads do you have to sift through before you get to actual organic results? How much scrolling do you have to do? And you might say, Brian, I'm a sophisticated web user. I know how to weed out the ads. And that's fine. But Google is effectively the discovery infrastructure for the internet. You know that old saw that if you're on page two of search, you're nowhere. For most people, how much of search and thus the internet is now completely controlled by Google's ad search results. If you're not actively paying Google, to what degree are you basically unlikely to be found by common users doing common searches at this point? Not because Google is actually blocking you from their algorithms or something, but because they have effectively crowded out their own organic search results. Are we reaching some tipping point where Google search is effectively deprecated? Now, nothing I've just said is new, People have been making the sky is falling arguments like this for years around Google Search. I just kind of wonder if the most recent couple of earnings reports for Google might be hinting that this time it might finally be different. And finally, I know this might sound like a dubious clickbait generated headline, but as best I can vet it, this very much looks to be a true story. Beyonce might have made $300 million from Uber's IPO because it seems that in 2015, Bay was offered $6 million to perform at a corporate Uber event in Las Vegas. And instead of cash, it seems that she requested the $6 million be paid in restricted stock units. Well, if this is true and Bay made bank, it turns out that there were other celebs that were smart enough to get in on Uber early as well. Ashton Kutcher famously invested $500,000 in Uber early on via Chris Saka's lowercase capital fund. Others, including Gwyneth Paltrow, Jay-Z, Olivia Munn, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Jared Leto, also reportedly invested in Uber along the way. And quoting Forbes, it's saved our family. Said cyclist Lance Armstrong, who had to pay millions to settle legal issues related to taking performance-enhancing drugs, told CNBC in December. End quote. Armstrong was apparently another of the lucky ones to get in on the Uber Action via Lowercase Capital. So, according to my Twitter timeline this morning, Viva Tech is now the big tech conference that nobody can miss, apparently. Seemingly, anyone who is anyone seems to be in Paris right now to attend. I mean, it was pretty big last year. Mark Zuckerberg, Sacha Nadella, Dara Khosrowshahi, they all spoke. Still, where is the secret text chain or Slack channel that I'm not on that alerts everyone to what the new hotness is? And can I get on that chain? Not because I need to go to all of the coolest tech conferences, just because I like to be in the know about what the new Cool Kids Club is. But actually, a tech conference in Paris is a pretty unbeatable proposition. So anyway, talk to you tomorrow.